Welcome everyone to our power session on this eighth day of new beginnings. And what a powerful day it has been. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The mikvahs, the Ruach HaKadosh moving among his people, the praise, the prayer, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, what powerful messages. Powerful. And on a future day of new beginnings, one day we will not only begin again, we will begin again with Him in a new heaven and a new earth. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it reads, Therefore, if any man be in Messiah, he is a what? That's right. He's a new creation or a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What does that mean to become a new creature? One moment. Let me get my mouse working, if you will. Let me just reset it real quick. Here we go. What does that mean to become a new creature? To become a new creature, what does that mean? Wouldn't that require a person's DNA to be altered in some shape or form? Maybe after Yahusha ignites and registers our DNA as belonging to him, he seals it, marks us, if you will, as having been made anew, a new creature and having been recorded in the book of life. And the other day we read that he even records that in the book of life. You will notice throughout scripture from the four heads flowing from the river out of Eden, from the four lead banners in the wilderness, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle, gathered around the dwelling place where Yahusha dwells. We see the same description in Ezekiel 1 and 10, where we not only see the lion, ox, man, and eagle represented, but we see that the individual ones with the six wings covered with eyes are covered by the seraphim. They're connected with the seraphim. And the ones consisting of all four faces, they're recorded in Ezekiel 10. They are identified as the cherubim that cover. When we hear the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle, in my understanding, we should see this representing whom? In the wilderness, who did the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle represent? They were the four lead banners of the four quadrants, correct? And they represented Israel, his firstborn, right out of Egypt. But in Ezekiel, there still existed an expanse of separation, for the door of Revelation 4.1 had not been opened yet. Remember, the cherubim guarded them. Adam and Eve from re-entering the garden, did he not? 
that partition of separation was up. And in Ezekiel, they look up, there's an expanse, there's a separation. They can see, they can see a throne room, but it's divided, it's divided. In the Gospels, Yahusha represents the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle in the four Gospel messages. There's a connection. There's a connection in He is the head, we are the body. In Revelation 4 and 5, again, we see the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle are identified as living creatures. You know, some translations say they're beasts. I disagree with that. I think some of the better translations is referring to them as living creatures. And they are around the throne room. That's what John the Revelator sees. You know, Aaron was correct when he shared, souls need a body. I agree. For they represent those born anew and registered in heaven. Matthew was correct that the essence of our born anew soul is energy and doesn't dissipate. And I also agree with the scriptures that say the dead know not is true. But as brothers and sisters, I'd like to pose a question. And this is important to me because I'm always trying to seek truth. And what better group to ask than brothers and sisters? My question is this. Are born anew souls the dead? Are born again souls the dead? The dead are those we know that we pass by every day, right? That have never been born anew. They are, in essence, dead men walking, are they not? So when the dead men walking die, would they not be the dead? We are, as I see it, and I'm not trying to impose my theology, if you will, on you. This is just something I've been searching with, struggling with, wrestling with, and I'd either like a little affirmation or I'd like correction because I am teachable. I am approachable. I have just been on a journey to, to find his truth and to know as much as possible about him. I was a late bloomer, age 32. I was a late bloomer. And I, and I do hunger and thirst for understanding. So I see us as the living. In Revelation chapter 5, it reads, And I looked, and I saw in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. And we know in Revelation 4 they had six wings. We know there's four quadrants in the wilderness encampments. We know each there's three tribes per each quadrant. 
Could they not be represented by three pairs of wings? And what? They're covered with eyes. What did we discuss the other day? As eyes, in essence, were like the window of the what? Yahushua told us in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Are heavenly dwelling places like our houses we build? Or could they be different? He just calls them dwelling places or mansions. As Bereans, could we possibly consider that the energy of those departed souls are beneath his wings of his seraphim and cherubim that cover and are gathered to their tribe, their people. You know, the cherubim were located closest to Yahushua. And in Ezekiel 10, I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself, but in Ezekiel 10, you know, I pondered the cherubim, they had four faces. Now that was different. How would that fit? They had four faces, representing possibly the four quadrants. But if we're a kingdom of priests from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that possibly rotate in those positions, would they not be priests from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation? Psalm 91.4, he covers you with his feathers and under his wings, possibly I ponder, could his wings be referring to the seraphim and cherubim? You take refuge. His truth is a shield and an armor. And would not the enemy try to duplicate this with airplanes and rockets here on earth? After all, Lucifer was what? He was once the cherubim that covered. So there were three tribes per league quadrant in the wilderness, which was a shadow picture of the heavenly quantum atmosphere. I see each pair of wings represent a tribe in the eyes, souls. The heavenly pattern is very mobile, and so was the earthly wilderness encampments. They moved out in a specific order. Yahushua said he was the resurrection and the life. He's not only the resurrection, he is the life. The soul energy will not be able to reign upon the earth until the glorified bodily resurrection takes place. Yahushua, for example, remember he ascended, right? And he said, don't touch me, I haven't ascended. He ascended. And then he returned in what appeared to be a glorified body. So it was almost like he ascended and then he came in his glorified body and it was a body that could be touched. I ponder these things. And if I'm on the right track, then please, hopefully after this session, you'll come to me and offer me some insights. The soul energy that exists under his wings, if that's where it does exist, will be the first ones to receive their glorified bodies. And then the rest of us that may remain will be changed in a moment. And we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He will rule and reign with Him upon the earth from Mount Zion. 
in our glorified bodies, no longer being a soul that needs a body, no longer directly dependent on dwelling with the assistance from the seraphim and the cherubim that cover, because they're very mobile. They're very mobile. Remember when Elijah was taken up? Elisha said, the chariot, the chariot of Israel, it passed through our atmosphere, did it not? Did Yahushua come into our atmosphere by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud? Was he not in our atmosphere? Is it unusual for him to come into our atmosphere? I don't think so. He's been, he can come in and go out whenever he wants to. So when I looked and saw in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, the 24 elders, a lamb standing as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of Elohim, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the set-apart ones. Who offers intercessory prayers for the set-apart ones and brings those prayers before Yahushua? Does not the priests? Do not the priests do that? And they sang, who's saying? Who's saying in that context? The four living creatures and 24 elders. That's how I see it. And they sang a new song. Kind of sounds like the song of the redeemed, doesn't it? And they sang a new, a new song saying, you were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and have redeemed us to Elohim by your blood. Out of, okay, we're going to get a definition of who these four living creatures possibly are and 24 elders. And have redeemed us to Elohim by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And it's footnoted that this fact is given in six other texts in the book of Revelation. And made us kings and priests or kingdom priests to our Elohim. And we shall reign upon the earth. They're not right now. They're not right now as I see it. We shall reign. In order to do that, they'll need their glorified body. They'll need their glorified body in order to do that. And they will not be as dependent on, as I see it, the seraphim and the cherubim. Power, Colossians 1, 18, 19, and 20. And, and he is the head of the body, the assembly, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might become the one who is first in all, because in him all the completeness was well pleased to dwell. He's the perfection in the completeness. And through him to completely restore to favor all 
unto himself, whether on earth or in the heavens, having made peace through the blood of his stake. So power, power. Even the onyx stones of Urim and Thummim represented lights and perfections. Two qualities much found in him. He is the truth, he is the light, he is the life, and he is perfection, and he is completion. So we have been talking about prayer and fasting. We have been talking about getting our bodies to a state where we can be metabolically stable to do such. And understand our ghrelin hunger hormones can easily become under control and understand how they function. In that state, our mind and body will be prepared to feast on spiritual manna for doing the desires of Yahuwah. We have established that Yahusha, Moses, and Elijah all fasted for 40 days and nights. And on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they appeared in an in a image or a vision, if you will, to Peter, James, and John. With these examples, we also see a direct correlation of power through fasting and prayer. And we also see positional closeness. Power in possessing our inheritance. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the reign of Elohim is not in speech, but in power. In the account of Caleb's request and inheritance in Joshua 14.6-13 And the children of Yehuda came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite, said to him, You know the word which Yahweh said to Moses, the man of Elohim, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I followed Yahweh, my Elohim, completely. So Moses swore on that day, saying, The land on which your foot has trodden is your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have followed Yahweh, my Elohim, completely. And now, see, Yahweh has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years since Yahweh spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness and now see I am 85 years old today yet I am still as strong today as I was on the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then so my strength is now for battle and for going out and for coming in and now give me this mountain of which Yahweh spoke in that day for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and walled. If Yahuwah is with me, 
then I shall dispossess them, as Yahweh said. Joshua then blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. And to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he gave a portion in the midst of the children of Judah, according to the mouth of Yahuwah to Joshua. Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak listed there. And he went up from there to the inhabitants of Devir. And the name of Devir formerly was Kirath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who strikes Kirath Sefer and shall capture it, to him I shall give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, son of Canaz, the brother of Caleb, did capture it. So he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. And it came to be, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. And when she got off from the donkey, Caleb said to her, What is the matter? And she said, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also fountains of water. And he gave her the upper fountains and the lower fountains. It was very interesting how Caleb decided who would be qualified to marry his daughter, Aksa. That's a big responsibility for fathers, covering and watching over their daughters. You see, he wanted to make sure she married a warrior. She, he wanted to make sure whoever she married wasn't like the 10 spies that gave a bad report. He was a warrior. He was a warrior. And guess what? Warriors recognize warriors. And even Aksa got some qualities from her father because she asked. We don't ask, we won't receive, will we? Matthew 7, 7 and 7, 8. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Othniel means Lion of Elohim. Thus the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of Yahuwah and forgot Yahuwah their Elohim and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the displeasure of Yahuwah burned against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rish Athayim, sovereign of Aram Naharayim. And the children of Israel served Kashan, Rish, Ayam eight years. And when the children of Israel cried out to Yahuwah, Yahuwah raised up a savior for the children of Israel who saved them, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the spirit of Yahuwah came upon him, and he ruled Israel and went out to battle. And Yahuwah gave into his hand Kishan, Rish, Ethim, sovereign of Aram, Naharayim, and his hand prevailed over Kishan Rish 
Ephraim, and the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. He was one of, they say, the greatest judges. However, some of those notes are not showing again today, so we will move on. Are, are we warrior ready? Are we warrior ready? His return is drawing nigh. Are we warrior ready? Physically, mentally, spiritually. So I want to continue to listen to this clip. And Truth Like Velcro had asked what the doctor's names were. So I want to make sure I answered her question. It's Dr. Chatterjee. He, this is his YouTube channel. And Dr. Jim Natus is the cardiologist speaking. <laughs> you see, prior to this, prior to this, I used to tell patients, okay, you're going to cut your calories to only 850 calories a day. And you're going to have uh, four meals a day. Each one is going to be this much. And the patients would come back. Sure, they lost some weight. They would lose a lot, actually, sometimes. But they would look terrible. They would look absolutely terrible. Their faces, their skin, and, and, and plus they were miserable because they just never, they didn't feel good yeah. eating yeah. small amounts of food frequently. This advice that we gave patients previously, that hey, cut your calories down by eating four small meals a day or nibble throughout the day, totally wrong in clinical experience. They lost temporary weight, they all will put it back on again. They did it for years, they did it for 15 years, and I was sick and tired of it. They would come back miserable, saying, my life's miserable, and I only eat this much, and I just feel terrible, I'm hungry all the time. And I look at them, they surely even look miserable. And their skin was just... So when patients were fasting, they would come back and they were laughing, they were, they were so happy. The mood was better. And I said, well, why is this guy's mood so good? He hasn't eaten for two days now. And he says, Doc, my mood is better than it ever was before. I'm sleeping better as well. And, and he empowered himself. I said, oh, wait, wait, this is psychological. He's just, you know, he was able to do it, so he's feeling good about himself. He says, no, Doc, I, I do feel good that I was able to do it. And, and I, I'm self-empowered. But also, they felt better. And then, of course, as I do the research, I see that there are many substances that are produced during fasting, and one of them is BDNF, which is a big word for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And what that really basically means is, look, when you are fasting, does nature want you to just crawl into your, into your cave and fall asleep and just, 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 just die? No, nature wants you to go out there, find your kill, or your, your, your prey, or your, or your find your berries or something. So it actually makes your brain more alert and, ju and rejuvenates your brain. And, and you actually, now there's data to show that you can actually grow new cells as well in prolonged fasting. So what happens is that you actually become more wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And that's what I saw with the patients too. They were, they, they were so happy when they walked into my office. You're walking to a cardiologist's office laughing and joking. This is fantastic. So, and then, so that's, a, and then I found that the, the, the energy levels, they just not only felt better mentally and, 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 and the mood was better, but they said that they moved around better. 
So I said, what does that mean? He said, well, look, my aches and pains were to rest. Come on. I said, yes, I only lost 15 pounds so far, but my joint pains are all gone. No, is it? Why is that? Why did the joint pains go away? You don't take off that much weight to take care of your knee. Well, there's inflammation. And I found that inflammation went down in these patients. So I said, okay, so how do I measure inflammation? So I looked at the CRP levels on these patients. And I found that the CRP is a blood test. And your audience would know that it's a test that we do to look for inflammation, microinflammation in the blood vessels. And I found that they were coming down. Now, you know how hard it was for me to bring these inflammatory markers down? I mean, you know, we give patients statins, and, and that does bring down CRP. But I found that these patients who are fasting, the CRP levels came down. And perhaps a lot of the inflammation in the joints was getting better because the inflammation went down. So I said, okay, that's fine. What else are you feeling? He said, well, you know what? My, my stomach feels good too. Wait a second, come on guys, I mean, you're fasting and how can this be happening to you? They said, yeah, less bloating, uh, my bowel movements are better, um, I'm not getting so gassy and I don't get that fatigue after eating, you know, I just, oh, I just feel so down. Of course, they're not eating, but when they do eat, after the meal, they feel so much better. So they are eating after when they break the fast, but they're feeling better, their guts are better, their joints are better, their minds are better. I just said, oh God, so th this is crazy, this is crazy. So that's what really, yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. so excited about fasting, as you could tell. I just, it's just amazing journey. Yeah, it's, you know, what's incredible is hearing you talk about this with this incredible passion. You know, you have seen really, really sick patients. You've been inside their body. You're, you're obviously, yeah, there was, there was clearly a frustration at some point. Oh, you know, why am I keep doing this with all these patients? They keep coming in. What else can I do? What you're talking about with fasting is not giving more things to someone. Oh, you've got to add this into your life. You've got to take more medications, take more supplements, go, uh, and go to the gym more, right? Because most of the things we advise, we're asking them to do more, add more things in. Actually, this is very, very simple at its core. We're asking them to do less. We're saying, actually, don't cook. Um, we'll, get, we'll get into the specifics, but I'm just saying, sort of 30,000 foot viewers, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to save you some money. You can eat less. I'm going to save you some time. You don't have to cook. Uh, this is going to help improve your sleep, your cognitive function. It, it's kind of, it's very interesting. It's something so simple that pretty much every religion has as part of its kind of culture and tradition, yet it's so alien to us in the way that we currently live, or as doctors, the way we currently practice, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, on this journey, they find out something about themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about what they find out. They find out that they are not the hunger. They are not the craving. That they are something. I'm just going to say in first time, I am something beyond my hunger. I'm beyond my body. I'm beyond my habits. I've suddenly realized that I am in charge. That I don't have to have breakfast. If I'm not hungry, I don't have to have breakfast. And now, Doc tells me that's good for me. Lunch comes around, are you hungry? Or have you been a victim of just, it's one o'clock, so I have to eat? So when the patient suddenly realizes that, Gosh, I don't have to eat because I'm not hungry. 
Of course, if you're not hungry. And now they're empowering themselves. They realize that there's another part of themselves, a real inner amnes, my, my awareness, the, the real me, which is beyond my body, beyond my feelings, beyond my sensations, and I have control over it. Now, I found that that seems to empower patients more because you start them out first doing this, 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 this dietary stuff, okay, learn how to just skip meals. Then all of a sudden it roller coasters and they themselves become so empowered. They say, whoa, 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 what have you done? He says, well, you know, Doc, you told me to fast. I haven't eaten for 48 hours. I said, yeah, but I didn't tell you, tell you 48 hours. So what I'm saying is that it empowers them even more because they realize, yes, I have control. I have regained my control of my eating habits. I don't have to eat because it's uh, one o'clock in the afternoon and I have to go downstairs to the cafeteria to eat. I don't have to do that if I'm not hungry. And when I am hungry, my ghrelin levels have gone up. They'll stay up for about an hour, Doc told me, and then it'll come right back down and my hunger will be gone. So now I'm empowering myself that, yep, I can do it. I'm gonna wait it out for one hour drink a glass of water, Doc told me to drink a glass of water, and yeah, sure enough, my hunger went away, I moved on. Yeah. Doc told me, keep my mind busy, go and do your chores at one o'clock, go do your shopping at one o'clock, go pay your bills at one o'clock, and your time will pass, and before you know it, you'll be back to work at two o'clock, and you'll have no problems till the evening. Yeah. So I yeah. think that self-empowering the patients this way, they're taking control, and they're looking back, and they're getting positive feedback, oh yeah, I have regained control. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because compliance is such a big problem. So when I did that, the compliance with medications also improved. Because the patients are just, they're, they're, they're to control. Yeah, they're to control. Yeah. They're in, they're in, they're in. yeah, I mean, there's so many things to kind of follow up on there. You mentioned that actually when people fast, they often get more energy and more mental clarity and this is very alien to, as you say, how most of us have been brought up. And I think kids are still being brought up. You have to eat regularly. And I give you an example from my own life, which is my son is 11 years old currently. And every Saturday morning, we try and do something called park run, which is a five kilometer run in the local town. Now, just to be clear, I am not giving anyone medical advice with their children at the moment, so this doesn't get misinterpreted. But I know my son, I know his health well, I know what he's capable of, and we run at nine o'clock. And my son loves food, right? He loves food. But actually, he's realized that actually he runs better and feels better when he runs at nine if he doesn't eat. So he said, Daddy, you don't want to eat to eat. I said, no, no, you don't want to eat, that's fine. Right, which is not what I would have been told at that age. I can tell you, it would have been, no, you're gonna to need to eat so you've got energy for your run. So, on a Saturday morning, he gets up, let's say it's seven, he'll probably have, you know, I'll probably keep reminding him, stroke, nudging him to have two glasses of water. Uh, but then we'll go and do a run together at nine. Let's say nine till half nine. Then we nip to the supermarket and come back. And what I've started doing with him is I say to him, Jen, how do you feel now? You know, you missed breakfast. And he'll say often, Daddy, I actually feel really good. Like, I can think really clearly. So first of all, Kids get this stuff, right? And I'm delighted that my son is actually uh, showcasing some of the stuff that you are talking about at the age of 11. I tell you, I certainly was not. I was very much eat 
From the minute you get up, go downstairs and have your bowl of cereal, and still be eating last thing at night. But I remember just going to my room with big bowls of muesli and milk, and just, I was eating all the time. So that was one thing I wanted to say. Uh, but the second thing I wanted to talk about was what you said about, I am not the hunger. And I thought it was so powerful, Dr. Jambadas, because I think many people these days have forgotten what real hunger is. And then if they ever experience hunger, it's like, I need to eat now because I'm hungry. It's like, well, you could just sit with your hunger and see what happens. So just a couple of points there. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love you to share your sort of view on that. All right, all right. So interesting, so interesting. Isaiah 58, repair of the breach. Then Yahuwah would guide you continually and satisfy your being in drought and strengthen your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, in the wilderness, they not only got manna from heaven, they had living water coming out of that rock, did they not? Verse 12, and those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you would be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you do not turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my set-apart day, and shall call the Sabbath a delight, the set-apart day of Yahweh esteemed and shall esteem it, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in Yahuwah, and I shall cause you to ride on the heights of the earth and feed you with the inheritance of Yaakov, your father, for the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken. How do we walk in the power of our inheritance as his kingdom of priests? Well, we, we need to know how to conquer and crucify our flesh once and for all by our soul being submitted to the spirit and ruling over our flesh. Second Corinthians 10, three through six. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not fight against, we do not fight according to the flesh. For the weapons we fight with are not fleshly, but mighty in Elohim for overthrowing strongholds, overthrowing reasonings in every high matter that exalts itself against the knowledge of Elohim, taking captive every thought to make it obedient to the Messiah, hopefully before we speak it, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is, excuse me, when your obedience is complete. Secondly, we need to allow Yahusha to transmute us, transform us into the one new man. That means we need to accept and honor the members of his body, for all have been given functions of great importance, yet we should still exercise discernment. So the definition of transmute means to change or alter in form, appearance, or nature, and especially to a higher form to subject, such as an element, to transmutation. Transmutation, an act or, or instance of transmuting or being transmuted, such as the conversion of base metals into gold or silver, the conversion of one element or nuclide into another, either naturally 
or artificially. Third, we need to live a lifestyle of covenant obedience. We are to always be ready in the natural and the spiritual. Fourthly, know that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And we need to test the spirits, do we not? Do not believe every spirit, but prove the spirits, whether they are of Elohim, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know, the spirit of, by this you know the spirit of Elohim. Every spirit that confesses that Yahushua Mashiach has come in the flesh is of Elohim. And we know he came in the likeness of flesh. Fifth, know your enemy, but do not give him all your energy. In 2 Timothy 4.1, we read, In the sight of Elohim and the master Yehusha HaMashiach, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his reign, I earnestly charge you, proclaim the word, be urgent in season, out of season, convict, warn, appeal with all patience and teaching. For there shall be a time, Paul's telling Timothy this, there shall be a time when they shall not bear sound teaching, but according to their own desires, they shall heap up for themselves teachers tickling the ear. What did we see in September 2022? What did we see? Did we not see false prophets? Subjective morality? Proclaiming Chrislam? The new one world religion? Hello? How close are we getting to the end? Are we awake? Are we warrior ready? Second right. Timothy 4, 4. And they shall indeed turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to myths. But you be sober in all matters. Suffer hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Accomplish your service completely. Accomplish your function. For I am already, Paul said, being poured out. And the time of my departure has arrived. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So important to finish the race. I have guarded the belief. For the rest, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the master, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those loving his appearing. So in essence, we are the pearls and he is the delium. He's the, the essence that binds us together or transforms us, transmutes us, the 12 tribes scattered abroad into the one new man. So that verb, transmutation, it said that the conversion of one element or nuclide into another, either naturally or artificially. Can you think of an act that was being pushed globally in 2020? I would classify that as an attempt of artificial transmutation of living souls. We are the temple. More than every, more than ever, we as his remnant kingdom of priests, after the order of Melchizedek, must guard our temple in the natural and supernatural. The enemy is pulling out all the stops. His time is short. Therefore, it is time. It is time. I feel an urgency. 
It is time to flip the script back to the Melchizedek. Keep in mind, nothing is impossible with Yahuwah. With him, there is always hope. We saw that. Yahuwah has even built in us a mechanism to repair our DNA, but we must also do our part to protect our DNA. But there is always hope in Yahushua HaMashiach. You never want to take away anybody's hope. There is hope. Repentance. Asking for forgiveness. Asking for healing. Have any of I'm sure probably you all have. I had not. I had not heard of crema cremation stones. Have y'all heard of cremation stones? I was rather shocked. But of course, Satan always has a counterfeit, does he not? So what are crema cremation stones? I didn't know, nor did I know they even existed. Satan wants to capture, corrupt, and imprison the souls of man, the Yah-given creation of man. Yahuwah is preparing us for battle and is shifting our mindset from slavery mode to warrior mode. We are his kingdom of priests, and we will be the ones that will walk in the power of the resurrection and in the power of our inheritance. As I have shared, Yahuwah orchestrated this message of the manna from beginning to end. There were days that I could only prepare by faith because he only led me one step at a time. That was unsettling. Yet at the same time, it's the most exhilarating experience to see him reveal some of his hidden manna before our very eyes to ponder as good Bereans. So the counterfeit cremation stones are a unique way to remember the life of a special loved one. This site said, we would like to assure you that these cremation diamonds are in fact created from the ashes of your loved ones. Below is an outline of the process that is used to create genuine cremation diamonds made from ashes. And then it goes into the process. Take several ounces of the ashes, bring the temperature up to 5,000 degrees, continue to heat up the carbon, that is turned to graphite. Place the graphite in a core with a metal catalyst and a diamond seed crystal. Place the core in a diamond press. Bring the temperature to about 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit and the pressure to about 800,000 pounds per square inch. Allow several weeks for the graphite to turn into a rough crystal. Remove the crystal and use faceting tools to cut it to your specifications. The day of, the, of Yahuwah is near, Obadiah 1.15. For the days of Yahuwah is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reward shall come back on your own head. For as you have drunk on my set-apart mountain, so do all the nations drink continually, and they shall drink and shall swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Yeah, they'll be as though they've never been. The dead know not. But on Mount Zion, there shall be an escape. 
and they shall be set apart. And the house of Yaakov, Jacob, shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall burn among them, and they shall consume them, so that no survivor is left of the house of Esau. Ezekiel 36-37 Thus said the Master Yahweh once again, I shall let the house of Israel inquire of me to do for them. I shall increase their men like a flock, as a set-apart flock, as the flock of Jerusalem at her appointed times. So shall the wasted cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. In Micah 2.12, it reads, I shall certainly gather all of you, O Yaakov. I shall bring together the remnant of Israel, put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture, they being noisy because of men. The breach maker shall go up before them. They shall break out and pass through the gate and go out by it, and their king pass before them with Yahweh at their head. Isaiah eleven fifteen, And Yahweh shall put under the band the tongue of the sea of Mitzrayim, and he shall wave his hand over the river with the might of his spirit and strike it in the seven streams. Could this not possibly be related to the seven continents? and shall cause men to tread it in sandals. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, those left from Asher, as it was for Israel in the day when he came up from the land of Egypt. The Sheepfold of Basra. Basra was a territory in Edom. It was in the midst of Edomite territory. And do we not all live in Edomite territory on all seven continents? The Lord's day of vengeance, Yahweh's day of vengeance. Isaiah 63, that's where you can find this in your word. Who is this coming from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? who is robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is there red on your raiment and your garments like one who treads in a winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. And I trod them down in my displeasure. And I trampled them in my wrath. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have defiled all my raiment. For a day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked, but there was none helping. And I was astonished that there was none upholding. So my own arm saved me, and my wrath upheld me. 
and I trod down peoples in my displeasure and made them drunk in my wrath and brought down their strength to earth. The sheepfolds of Basra. I see us all being in the midst of Edomite territory. We are his folds, are we not? Are we located in this picture on all seven continents? Yes, we are. And the island nations. And this world thinks they've got us trapped. They think they've got the walls closed in. But the breach maker is coming. Yahushua will be the one that breaks us out. But on a future appointed time, just like Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they were meeting, they were in one accord on one of his moeds, and his esteem came down upon them like fire, and it burned like a flame over their head, over their dwelling. It attracted the people around them and came to them, and they heard the covenant-confirming gospel message being spoken in their own tongue. Is it possible that his righteous ones will have the esteem burning over their head? Maybe the esteem burning over their dwelling on every continent, drawing the nations to his truth? I believe so. And the breaker who leads us out and we know he is the door. Ezekiel 20, 41 and 42. As a sweet fragrance, I shall accept you when I bring you out from the peoples. And I shall gather you out of the lands where you have been scattered. And I shall be set apart in you before the nations. And you shall know that I am Yahuwah when I bring you into the land of Israel. Into the land for which I lifted my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. Philippians 4.13 I have strength to do all through Messiah who empowers me. Be empowered. Experience freedom. Get a small taste of that with fasting and prayer. Move from a slave mentality to being programmed to all the responsibilities of meeting timelines and so forth in this world to a warrior mentality and elevating his word over such. I want to move on to the mental benefits shortly of fasting because I think there's a real uh, important piece there that we touched on a couple of times in the conversation already. Before I do, I sort of feel that, that there's so much um, divisiveness and um, you know, frankly, fighting about different diets that I think sometimes gets so unhelpful for the general public. Um, they see doctors who they admire saying, this diet has got this evidence, this is really good, and they see another doctor who they admire say, this diet's really good, it has all this evidence. And I think, and I know this from talking to patients and talking to the public, that many people find this incredibly confusing. I. I really like fasting for the right person in the right state of health. I kind of see it as the great unifier in many ways. Because 
as long as you are metabolically able to do that fast, you know, whether you choose to eat meat and fish, or whether you choose to be vegan, if you are whole food primarily and not having uh, much processed food at all in your diet, then you're still gonna get benefits from fasting, right? Whether you're low carb or whether you're vegan. And you know, it's interesting, that video that you did on fasting, Fasting for Survival on YouTube, which has you know, had millions of views, I was reading through the comments just before this conversation, Dr. Jamadas, and the top comment was, really, I think, encompasses everything that you stand for. He, I think, said he was mostly plant-based, and he started off following your advice with a whole food, mostly plant-based diet. I think he started off with 18-hour fasts. He moved up to 24-hour ones. I can't quite remember. Then he moved to maybe one three-day one every six months. And he's documented his health journey over two years, and it is utterly remarkable that you put out a video on YouTube and you have completely empowered that guy to transform his life. So first of all, just I want to acknowledge you for that. That's just one of millions of people who've seen that video and changed their lives. So that's just incredible work that you're doing. But what do you think about this concept that fasting could be the great unifier? No matter what tribe you belong to, you can still get involved with fasting and yield and, 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 and reap many of those benefits. You're absolutely right. Um, the various dietary programs that have come out have confused the public. It's confused the physicians as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my patients come and say that I'm following this diet, that diet, and nothing happened, and this one's too hard for me, and, and, and this one's too restrictive for me, and it doesn't fit with my lifestyle. I understand that. I understand that. Fasting forgives you. Fasting, in a sense, forgives you for certain foods that, that you may then consume. And actually, think about it this way also. You eat that slice of bread after a fast, your insulin response is totally different in the fasting state than in a fed state. You're gonna make less insulin for the same slice of bread in a fasting state. So it's, and the, 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 the type of food that they consume. So when I first started out, I was, Years and years and years ago, I would say, oh, you've got to be a vegetarian, you know, you got to drop all meats. And being in the United States, how many patients are going to become vegetarian, right? So, and then as the data came out and I started studying more and more, I changed. Yeah. I decided that, hey, there's something wrong with this. You know, people should be able to eat ancestral foods and what they grew up with. Uh, uh, but the problem was processed foods. When we take the foods and we process them, we change them, and all the additives that we put into, and the way we grow our food or way we, 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 we get our meats has changed. So I said, no, 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 this is not right. When I studied non-vegetarian diets uh, around the world, how come there is low instance of heart disease? There are populations that eat only meat and only drink milk and, and blood, or, or the populations that only eat starches and a lot of it, and they also live long. What's the commonality? What is the commonality in all of them? The commonality is no processed foods, no additives, right? No, no sugar. So they, they, they all had simple diets. So then I came up with my own plan and I said, listen, you, you, what do you like to eat? What do you like to eat? So you want to eat red meat? Okay, then eat grass-finished meat. 
because that will have more nutrients in it, the fats will be the right kind of fats, you will not have all those omega-6s in there, you, you, you'll have more natural fats in there. Yeah. And if you want to yeah. eat eggs, chicken, so I let them do that, and I said, but you've got to also introduce plants in your diet, because you need the plants, not for you. Yeah, and you're going to get some, some water-soluble uh, vitamins, et cetera, et cetera, into your system and eat plants, you know. But it's really for your gut bacteria. So again, I had to read a lot about the microbiome to understand that the fiber is hugely important, very important. And, and, and so I tell them, eat your vegetables as well. So this is my diet plan. Yeah. It's yeah. not so restricted. Just stay away from anything that your great-great-grandfather wouldn't eat and no processed foods, anything in a packet, box, barcode. Stay away from anything made into a flour. And that's been a hard one, the flour one. Yeah. Um, also in some it's everywhere. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. I, I love this. Um, I'm so enjoying speaking to you. There's a real kind of, there's just a beautiful energy. There's also this kind of real life practicalness that you know what it's like when these patients come in and you've got in your head the ideal thing, but you've got to work with people and their tastes and their preferences and their culture and what they want. And I really do strongly feel that too many people these days on social media commentate, they look at the science and go, oh, this is what everyone needs to do. It's like, it's just not how it works in real life in my experience you know people are different they've got different desires they've got different cultures different preferences so i really like that you've mentioned all the kind of physical benefits the biochemical benefits when we have a period of not taking in food a period of fasting but there's also something really powerful isn't there like you have touched on several times but what it does for you when you know, oh, I can go 12 hours without food, I can go 18 hours, wow, actually, I can go 24 hours and I don't actually need to put something in my mouth. I think we shouldn't undervalue just what that does for someone. You know, I think it's freedom. It's freedom from a dependency on food addictive foods, processed foods, sugar, it means that you can go about, you're out on the train station or the airport and there's no good food to have, cool, just don't eat, take the flight, don't eat. It, there's a real freedom which many people feel that they are, they're in chains, I guess, to the food industry and to their, their hunger and their stomach. So, you know, can you speak a little bit about that and why you feel that's so important? Yeah, I, I love the, the fact that you use that word freedom. Because, you know, I said, okay, it empowers the patient, but it is a real freedom. It's a freedom that, that they know that what their behavior resulted in no adverse effect and that they were able to overcome those which they never thought they could overcome. So these little hurdles that they're overcoming in their diet actually has huge repercussions in other aspects of their life. And really, honestly, it, it percolates into their, into their workplace, into their family life, um, in, in their social interactions uh, with their friends. Um, and I've seen that these people, they just, they just become more, more uh, self-confident. Um, and, and I think it's because we introduce terms to them like, that who you are, the real you. So it opens up a new aspect of their existence. That there is a part of me that's separate and apart from my body and from my mind and my cravings and my stomach and my feelings and, and all these things. And that's the real me. 
And of course, you know, th th this gets into some of that part that I have a huge interest in, which is, who are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, who are you really? Um, where is the you? Uh, and why can't you, that, that you, change uh, your behavior? Of course you can, because you need to change your identification. Which, and I found that people who have done this program over the last few years, they actually get work promotions, they actually become better supervisors, they become uh, just better family uh, members and, and, and caregivers. Um, it's miraculous yeah, how yeah. one thing because it's, it's showing them that, yes, you are in charge. Look, you can do it. Absolutely. We can do it. And it's very interesting what happens when you cut back on the sugars. You get better dental appointments. Your children get better dental appointments. Because there are children under two years of age that are leaving dentist office full of silver in their mouth. It's just absolutely crazy. And I did want to mention to y'all that you can look up the BMI calculator online. I believe it's uh, calculator.net and that stands for body mass index and it will tell you where you are. Are you in the neutral zone? The, the, the right weight for your age, gender? Or are you overweight? Are you edging into the obese zone? And of course the goal is to get the neutral weight. In the message of the man in Revelation 21, Brenda went to this chapter and it's interesting, I, I also focused on it. And one of the seven messengers who held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and spoke with me saying, come, I shall show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the set apart Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven from Elohim, having the esteem of Elohim and her light was like a most precious stone. Now you'll see a lot of color coding in this. The reason why is that these scriptures are mirrored. And when scriptures are mirrored, it's a literary device called a chiastic structure. Have y'all heard of chiastic structures? Yes. Yes. And matter of fact, the whole book of Revelation is written in a mirrored chiastic structure. And I even wonder when Matthew mentioned that scripture about Yahushua being in the center of the scroll couldn't possibly the whole book somehow mirror a chiastic structure pointing to Yahushua. So you'll see the, the color codes are mirrored. And this is one I discovered while I was reading it. Having the esteem of Elohim, because it can just be part of a chapter. It can be a whole chapter. It can be a whole book. It just depends. Having the esteem of Elohim and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Even delium was described as crystal. And having a great and high wall, having 12 gates, and at the gates 12 messengers, and names written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So I wonder, is that just the 12 
main tribes of Israel? Or does it say names written on them which are those of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel? Could that possibly tie in that white stone given to us in Revelation 2.17 with a new name on it that's engraved that possibly is collected at the gate? Who knows? Verse 13. And then it goes on about the three gates on the east, north, south, and west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve emissaries of the Lamb. Now that's clear. It was just twelve emissaries of the Lamb. And he spoke with me. And he who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city lies four-cornered and its length is a great is as great as its breadth and the measured and he measured the city with the rod 12,000 stadia the length and the breadth and height of it are equal and he measured his wall 144 forearms now that number most definitely ties me into that 144,000 according to the measure According to the measure of a man, that is of a messenger. And we know in the Bible, a messenger can be an angelic messenger, but also those that have been fellow servants will be like messengers in the heavenlies. So in verse 12, we had messengers too, as we did in 21 verse 17. We had 12 of them. 12 messengers times 12,000 stadia, 144,000. Measure of a man, 144, could equal those representing the 12 tribes because all 12 tribes had a designated man assigned to each tribe. And the structure of its walls was jasper and the city was clean gold. The gold. Where was the gold? The first river out of Eden. There was gold. There was delium. There was Shoham stone. That's the only head coming out of the river that had priestly elements associated with it. The other three did not. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation, Jasper. The second, Sapphire. And the third, Agate the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx. That's the white stone with the red lines through it. The sixth ruby. Delium was even mentioned as a ruby in one instance. The seventh chrysolite. Again, it rather goes back to delium. The eighth barrel. It was, it was identified as barrel at one point. The ninth topaz. And it made me think back to that book of wisdom, how the manna met every need of those in the wilderness. It met their appetite. Could it not be somehow all of these? We know manna, when it would get hot, it would melt and, and go down. Just take 12 candles, melt them down. What do they do? They become one, do they not? They described onyx as white, and it had a fluidly movement to it. Could possibly onyx and some of these other stones have been formed by delium, which is a resin? 
And we know amber comes from, is a stone, a precious stone, and it came from amber. It's very possible. And it was also described as a pearl. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. What kind of pearls do you think they were? Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was clean gold. All the things we were reading about in Genesis 2.12. Delium was present with gold and onyx. Delium defined as something in pieces with the root word of set-apartness, just as Israel is in many pieces set apart. And lastly, 27. And there shall be no means, there shall by no means enter into it whatever is unclean, neither anyone doing abomination of falsehoods, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So this is just another way to show you the chiastic structure. I matched all those verses up, color-coded them, and you see how they mirror one another. And the focus verse is verse 15. And he who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and its gate and its walls. And what's so beautiful, if you turn it the other way around, it formed a seven-branch manure. Bob Midbar, number in the wilderness. Physical or natural Israel begins to take shape and it is organized positionally and functionally. They will move as one body as they follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Was Moses not instructed to, to replicate what he saw in the heavenlies? Was he not replicating something and many things that he saw in the heavenlies? And we know physical Israel precedes spiritual Israel born from above, from 1 Corinthians 15. The spiritual, however, was not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, earthy. The second man is the master from heaven. As is the earthy, so also those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the likeness of the earthy, we shall also bear the likeness of the heavenly. Yahuwah told Pharaoh, thus said Yahuwah, Israel is my son, my firstborn, that's us. So I say to you, let my son go to serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, see, I am killing your son, your firstborn. The breaker is going to come. He's going to break us out of these, this prison planet, if you will. He's going to be the one to gather Israel born from above. At the time of the first exodus, Israel is set free, yet Israel is in her infancy with much to learn. There is nothing like being in the wilderness to realize that you need to stop doing stupid stuff. It is time that you listen intently to the one with the best survival skills. Or you pray and hope you recall everything you watched on so you think you'd survive? You realize you are in dire straits and that you must do what may seem impossible or die. That was pretty much the literal case for the Israelites after the sin of the golden calf under the book of the law. It was a do or die imposed law to spare their lives. The book of the law would be a harsh schoolmaster, but if they would listen, mature, and obey the master survivalist, Yahuwah, they would fare well. If not, they could literally die and die very quickly. 
In Revelation, we had just read according to a man in Revelation 21. And we saw that that equaled the messengers of the four living creatures with six wings in Revelation 4 and 5, representing 12 men total in the four quadrants of the three tribes each. In the wilderness, see, there were 12 tribes. Judah, east. Ephraim, west. Reuben, south. Dan, the quadrant, north. Each tribe had a man. And thus, in Revelation 21, it talked about the man representing the 12 tribes, the measure of a man. Judah had Nishan, son of Amenadad. And we know that that's in Yahushua's genealogy. And Ram brought forth Amenadab, and Amenadab brought forth Nishan, and Nishan brought forth Solomon, and Solomon brought forth Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz brought forth Obed by Ruth, and Obed brought forth Jesse, and Jesse brought forth David, the sovereign. The David and David, the sovereign, brought forth Solomon by Uriah's wife. Matthew pointed out to us in Exodus 6, Verse 23, which is good to remember where this is at, because it shows the blending of the tribe between Levi and Judah. See, Aaron took to himself Elishavah, daughter of Amenadab, sister of Nishan, as wife, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron. That was the blending of the Aaronic Levitical tribe and the tribe of Judah. Kingly, priestly blending. And we talked about the movement, order of the march in the wilderness. He does everything orderly. The pillar of cloud and fire led the troops. Judah was the front guard. Dan is the rear guard. And guess who else is, is mentioned as the front and rear guard? Yehusha HaMashiach. The Gershonites had two wagons that carried the curtains. The Mororites would follow with four wagons. Then Reuben would follow. Then you'd have the Kohathites bearing the vessels. Then you'd have the priest. Then you'd have Ephraim. And then you would have Dan. We minister a new covenant. Are we to begin to recommend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You are our letter, having been written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Make it obvious that you are a letter. Making it obvious that you are a letter, Messiah, served by us. Written not with ink by the Spirit of the living Elohim, not on tablets, of stone, but on fleshly tablets of the heart. And such trust we have toward Elohim through the Messiah. Not that we are competent in ourselves to reckon any matter as from ourselves, but own but our excuse me, but our competence is from Elohim, who also made us competent as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, the book of the law, but of the spirit, the book of the covenant. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
but if the administering of death in letters engraved on stones was esteemed so that the children of Israel were unable to look steadily at the face of Moses because of the esteem of his face, which was passing away, how much more esteemed shall the administering of the Spirit not be? For if the administering of condemnation had esteem, the administering of righteousness exceeds much more in esteem. For indeed, what was made esteem had no esteem in this respect, in view of the esteem that excels. For if that which is passing away was esteemed, much more that which remains in esteem. Having then such expectation, we use much boldness of speech. And not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel should not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when the old covenant is being read, that same veil remains not lifted because in Messiah, only in Messiah is that veil taken away. But to this day, when Moses is being read, a veil lies on their heart. And when one turns to the Messiah, the veil is taken away. When the veil is lifted, Israel overcomes with El. We're overcomers with El. And he allows us to taste some of that hidden manna. Now, Yahweh is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of Yahweh is, there is freedom. And we all, as with unveiled face, we see in a mirror the esteem of Yahweh. We see as in a mirror the esteem of Yahweh, are being transformed into the same likeness from esteem to esteem, as from Yahweh the Spirit. So I pray you've had a very blessed Feast of Tabernacles. I have found it very remarkable. I have so loved being with each and every one of you guys and just gathering, gathering and breaking bread together and fellowshipping together and praying together and bonding together, letting him hold us and bound us together. So important because we are the remnant of the remnant of the 12 tribes. Shalom, shalom.